And now for something completely different. Ah! <laughs> Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course. And uh, we wake up this morning. Russia's pulling back troops. So this morning, futures are rallying very nicely. Dow's going to be up about 380 points or so at the open. Uh, S&P is going to be up roughly, uh, looks like about 63-ish um, when the market's open. So a little over 1% when we open markets this morning. Uh, that's, you know, nice kind of a reflex from the last couple of days of selling pressure. And as we talked about yesterday, that this whole kind of saber rattling between Russia and Ukraine and the U.S. was really just a lot of that. It was a lot of political intrigue and drama. Of course, we'll find out in a few days, you know, what was the uh, what was the resolution to all of this. But again, this was never really about an issue of an invasion of Ukraine. It was a lot of posturing, absolutely for sure. But as is always the case, you know, we talked about this at length with uh, Kim um, with uh, Kim Jong Un in North Korea when he was posturing over nuclear missiles. And this was something he always does. And, and this has been like the history of North Korea forever is that they start kind of saber rattling until we give in and give them some type of financial aid or some type of assistance or remove some sanctions, whatever it is. And then everything goes along nicely. And then when they want something else, they start kind of saber rattling again. This is this is all this was. And again, markets getting under a lot of pressure. I'm getting a lot of phone calls. You know, we're about to go to war with Russia and we need to all be in gold. Yeah, you know, I, I get it, right? But this is the whole point about, and we talked about this specifically yesterday, you've got to be careful with getting on one side of the trade. Being in one position uh, can leave you very off-footed. So if you kind of have been running into a lot of the safety trade last couple of days um, on this idea of, you know, geopolitical warfare, um, you know, now you're going to be trying to get out of that trade, get back into the market state. So this is this is always the problem, as we've discussed, is allowing kind of emotions to impact the outcome of your portfolio. So, again, you know, this really isn't surprising. We kind of knew something was going to happen. It usually takes, a, you know, a few days to work these things through. We, we've actually posted a chart yesterday of looking back at these type of geopolitical events going back in history. And they generally range from anywhere from 10 days to 40 days, somewhere in there. So uh, again, it, this is just kind of the normal process of these events as they occur. But this is why yesterday we we're talking specifically about being a little bit more cautious about making big moves because you don't know how these things are gonna resolve themselves. And, and look, you know, while it's certainly, you know, negative headlines certainly sell, you know, advertisers and they get clicks and views and, you know, with so much media today, everybody's got to has to really get the most clickbait that they can get out there because that's what you know gets people to, you know, why are you going to watch one news channel over another news channel? Right. Because they've got the, the, the blood of your headline. And Brent will tell you this. Brent used to work in the news media for a long time. If it bleeds, it leads. And uh, that's what gets that's what gets viewers. Right. So, you know, geopolitical warfare that's a good that is a good line to get you know clicks and views but uh, but again you know what's clicks and views is one thing and what actually out is the outcome of this is is usually another and and again you know when we talk about you know these these major events 
optimism usually rules um, at the end of the day. Nobody really wants to go to war, right? No, no country really wants to go into to war with Russia because, again, they have a huge nuclear stockpile. And even Vladimir Putin was talking about that recently. And somebody's like, look, you know, we have a huge nuclear stockpile. You know, don't mess with us. This is the whole nuclear deterrent. Um, and, and so this is why it's always better to kind of look at these events as saying, look, this is going to be a process that works itself out in time. That What do they want, right? That's the question. What do they want? And once you find out that question, then you can start to resolve the issue as you go along. So, so again, not surprising here that we're seeing a nice market rebound this morning. We're also wrapping up earnings season as we go through this. Earnings season has been decent so far. Um, companies have really kind of been beating estimates on, on a lot of different fronts. However, guidance has been coming down. And this suggests that, and part of that repricing of the market that we've been in now for the last month or so has, has really been a repricing of slower earnings growth as well. So as we move forward into this year, higher rates of inflation, as we've talked about recently, that's going to weigh on profit margins. Higher wages weigh on profit margins. And so what we're seeing now is we have these record profit margins in 2020, 2021, because companies were understaffed, and they had laid off a lot of workers. There was all this money coming into households for them to go out and spend. As we talked about before, everybody was going out to Home Depot to, to rebuild some project at the house or whatever it was. Now, there was a survey out this morning that because of higher commodity costs, people are now having to rethink those home improvement projects. Quite a difference from where we were two years ago when they had lots of excess money and price didn't really matter. Now it matters because they don't have those extra, those extra dollars in their pockets. So now we're beginning to see the impact of inflation and higher wages on profit margins. Those are, those are big costs, right? So input costs to companies that if those prices go up and I manufacture goods or services and I need external products, those prices have gone up. So that impacts how much I can charge for my, well, it, what I can pass on, I should say, to consumers impacts my profit margin. If I can't pass all that inflation on to consumers, that weighs on my profit margins. If I can't pass on wage increases to my customers, well, that also weighs on how much I eventually profit out of whatever good or service that I'm selling. So what we're seeing is something that we actually talked about last year. We said, look, when we get into 2022, we're going to start to see margin compression. And we've talked about this on the show a good bit, but that's what's happening now. So as we see the yield curve invert, as we see the economy starting to slow down, as this liquidity, you know, $5 trillion worth of expansion and debt that was sent to households, that's all coming out now. That's now starting to weigh, it created this inflation push, which is now starting to weigh on profit margins. So part of this repricing of the markets that we've seen over the last couple of months is yes, partly due to inflation concerns. Yes, partly due to the Fed, absolutely. But what do those have to do with the stock market? Well, what that has to do with the stock market is eventually weaker profit margins and weaker earnings growth. And so that's starting to get repriced in. Now we have a very high valuation in the market still. We haven't really reduced that by much yet. And so as earnings begin to weaken and price, if prices just kind of stay where they are, then we're going to see valuations rise. So again, when we take a look long-term at history, one of the reasons that we get a valuation reversion is because prices decline as the market reprices for lower earnings. 
And that's the real question here as we get into the next couple of months as we move ahead. Is the market beginning to reprice for substantially weaker earnings growth? Or is this process of consolidation that we've really been in now for the last really three months going back to October of last year? Um, we've just kind of been in this consolidation. Market really hasn't gone anywhere, but now we're starting to see those earnings weaken. So that's going to keep valuations elevated here for a while. And now with the Fed starting to hike rates and tighten monetary policy more, that should certainly weigh, that's at least provide another headwind to markets here over the next few months. So um, when we come back from the break, I've got a lot, some, some other issues to get into, but we'll get into, uh, you know, really kind of talking about where we are in this cycle, kind of what's weighing on the markets right now, and, and really what kind, of, what kind of happens next historically. That's the thing we want to try to figure out. I'll talk about that more on The Real Investment Show when we come back from the break. I'm Real Science Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. morning's edition of the Real Investment Show. I'm Real Science Roberts. So getting ready to kind of wrap up earnings season here this morning. A uh, few companies uh, reporting. Marriott International is, of course, the big hotel chain. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I always like to watch hotels because that tells you a lot about consumption habits. Uh, if people are feeling more, uh, you know, I guess, safe with their current financial situation and businesses are all getting back to work, Hotel occupancies tell you a lot about kind of mobility in the country and where things are going. So it's always interesting from a consumer perspective to kind of watch what Marriott says, but also what they forecast. Are they are they forecasting stronger sales? Are they forecasting higher room occupancy rates? Those type of things um, can tell you a bit more about kind of where we are, you know, economically speaking. Um, when resorts also out today, same thing. Um, you know, one of the interesting ones to, to watch this afternoon will be Zoom Technologies, of course. This was the company that really came to prominence during the shutdown. I mean, very few people had heard of Zoom before the economic shutdown and immediately after the shutdown. Of course, Zoom is also one of the companies involved in the center of this uh, new suite of bills being passed. There's, there's uh, several competing bills now being passed. Uh, presented in, in Washington to stop congressional trading. Um, 
Zoom was one of those companies kind of right in the center of that whole scandal is that as the as Congress was working through the process of shutting down the economy, they knew this was coming. Congressional insiders, uh, Nancy Pelosi and others, um, were out buying stocks and options on stocks like Zoom technology because they said, well, when we shut down the economy, people are going to have to work remotely. And that's going to really benefit companies like Zoom and um, GoToMeeting, which is owned by Citrix. Um, you know, and so they were out buying those stocks and, of course, made millions on those stocks when they exploded because of exactly the reason why. Right. So, uh, you know, this is the problem, as we've talked about before, with insider trading and why Congress is exempt from insider trading. I really don't know. That really, because it doesn't make sense if, uh, you know, and, and this is kind of one of the things that, you know, if I'm the CEO of a company, a publicly traded company, that doesn't really matter if you're a private company, right? You've got nothing that anybody wants. But if you're a publicly traded company where shareholders are actively trading your shares and you have public inside information, a non-public inside information, in other words, that you know there's something happening either very positive or very negative for your company. So, example, I'm the CEO of a company. I'm in talks with another company about acquiring us. And these are private conversations. And, you know, it's, it's not been disclosed publicly in any form. And I'm out buying or selling my stock based upon what I believe to be the outcome of this acquisition. And then the acquisition occurs and the stock price does exactly what I was doing. That's inside information, right? I benefited from an a, from information that you did not have. And so that's insider trading. So if I'm Congress and I'm about to shut down the economy, that was information they had that nobody else had. That is non-public inside information that they traded on and made millions. Now, for anybody else, you go to jail over that. For Congress, we pass a bill. <laughs> It's a, you can't do that anymore. But we haven't even passed that bill, right? So, you know, the interesting thing is always, is, is always about this. You know, we talk a lot about term limits in Washington. We need term limits, right? These, these congressmen and senators that have been around for 900 years, like Nancy Pelosi and others, you know, we need some term limits. You know, you're, you're in for three terms, whatever it is, and then you got to go home. And we have term limits for the president, right? We, but we don't have term limits for congressmen and senators, well, the interesting thing is, is that the very people that have to vote to pass term limits would put them out of a job <laughs> are the ones that have to vote on the bill. I mean, so are you going to vote on a bill to put yourself out of a job? The answer is no. And that's why you can't ever get term limits passed, right? You know, people talk about it a lot, but it never happens. Well, it's the same thing with insider trading. These, you know, congressmen have to vote on a bill to limit their ability to have legal insider trading. Just think about that for a minute. It's kind of hard to wrap my brain around, but <laughs> you know, that's where we are. But that's but that's the issue. So, you know, uh, again, Zoom Technologies though, uh, that was a long way around to talk about Zoom Technologies. Uh, Zoom Technologies is going to report today. Now, you know, this is going to be a very interesting report. Uh, stock's been under a lot of pressure lately because of the fact that people are going back to work. And as people go more and more back to work, what is the need for Zoom? 
right? Does that start to go away some? Does that growth rate that with that explosive growth rate of Zoom um, is certainly on the decline? But there's also competition now. You know, as, as is always the case when uh, something like this happens and everybody starts working remotely, a lot of other competitors start to spring up. So there, now there's lots of options for online remote. I mean, you got Microsoft Teams, you got Zoom, you got GoToMeeting, you've got all these other ones, right? So every, everybody's got a new version of some online meeting tool apparatus. And honestly, I think most people are just getting Zoomed out, period. <laughs> so I, I know Brent is. <laughs> You know, and, and 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 honestly, something you know, there's there's something else to this. I mean, you know, Zoom meetings are great, but there's something different about, you know, just everybody getting onto an online meeting. I know it's it's easy, it's convenient, but I think you lose a lot of that collaboration, right? People don't speak up as much, and um, you know, you don't get that kind of camaraderie that you get from having a in-person meeting. It's just, I think you lose a lot. Oh, it's, it's too easy to multitask during one of those yeah. things. You turn off your camera and you mute your microphone and you can do anything you want <laughs> in the background and no yes. one knows. And we've seen a lot of videos of that. Yes, <laughs> we, yes we have. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I just think you lose a lot of productivity. And this is, you know, this is going to be one of the big questions. And I think that it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years is, as we come, there's, I mean, there's a whole generation of people that are coming up now that want this, they like this idea of working remotely, right? I can work from my house. I can do, I can, this is convenient. I can do all these other things, but there's also a negative impact to things like commercial real estate. If more and more companies are, are going to just allow this work from home status, I don't need as big of an office space, right? So you work from home. I, I, you know, I pay you to work from home and I don't need as, as much of an office space so I can reduce my commercial real estate footage. Uh, you know, and another thing I think we're going to come up with is also is we, we've seen rising wages. And this I think this is going to be the interesting outcome of this. A lot of people are, and especially the younger, the younger kind of workers, they're wanting jobs that allow them the flexibility to work remotely. And what we may see, and again, I'm not saying this for sure, but what we may see is those jobs saying, look, we have a job posted. This job pays X dollars a year, and you're required to work in the office. If you want to work from home, that's okay too, but we're going to pay you X dollars less for that same job. So if you want the flexibility to work from home where you're not you're potentially not as productive, I think it'll be interesting to start to see if we see wage compression on this ability to work from home. If it becomes a disincentive to work from home. Again, because if you look at it from a from a business perspective, are my employees more productive in the office or working remotely? And I think that's a decision that most businesses have to make on their own. I'm sure there's some businesses that are just as productive with remote workers as they are with in and you know kind of in-house workers but it's going to be interesting to watch i don't i don't have this i don't have the answer for this and we don't have any anecdotal data for this just yet we'll we'll get this over the next year or so now that things are kind of returning back to normalcy and as we get past this you know pandemic media driven fear that we have going on with with you know the covid-19 variants once we get past that pandemic phase into endemic where we just go look it's the flu we got to deal with it just like the flu you go get your 
flu shot, whatever it is, and you get back to life, right? You get back to work. So once we get to that endemic stage and things start to return to normal, I think we'll start to see, we'll start to really start to see those productivity differentials. And we'll be able to actually analyze it. You know, there's always been a lot of talk about work from home and that, you know, in theory, people should be just as productive working from home as they are working from the office, but we'll see. Um, we'll see if that's truly the case when we get the data. I'm not sure that's the case, just from personal experience and, and what I've seen. But uh, again, you know, we'll, we'll see how this comes out. But so watch Zoom today. I think it'll be interesting. They're expected to report adjusted earnings of uh, 13 cents a share on revenue of 207 million. Now, this was a company, we've talked about this before, you know, when you when you take a look at some of these companies, and this was this is one of the stocks in, you know, the kind of the disruptor class. You know, this is a stock stock that was trading over four hundred dollars a share back in August of last year. It's currently trading at $142 a share. And even at $142 a share, this is a stock trading at 11 times price to sales. Even at this rate. Now we talked about Scott McNeely here the other day on the radio show saying if you're if you want to pay me 10 times price to sales, I've got to give you hundred percent of everything I earn sales-wise. Just just for you to to and I would have to pay that over 10 years to justify valuations at 10 times price to sales. Well, this is a company that's down from 400 to 142 dollars, more than a 60% decline, and is still trading at 11 times price to sales. Again, you know, this is a company that makes $200 million a year in revenue, has a market cap of $44 billion. It just, you know, these, these are some things that just don't make sense. And we saw this back in the dot-com peak, right? So we'll see, but there's probably more downside left for Zoom. If you're long the stock, just be careful. All right, quick break. We'll be back 6.30 right here on the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. We'll talk about our latest report on the website right now. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free Retirement Right Lane class, Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Market pullback or bear market? That's really kind of the question. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, we were just finishing up this conversation about Zoom technologies and this work from home. 86% of white collar workers want permanent hybrid work week or they will quit. That sounds great until you quit your job looking for a hybrid job and there's no other ones out there. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, you don't have the choice over whether you work hybrid or not. That's going to be up to your employer ultimately at the end of the day. <laughs> so I want to work for you and I want to do it from home. Uh, no, thank yeah. you, Mr. Clinton. I'll hire four <laughs> other people that are willing to come into the office. Exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, so market pullback or bear market, that's that's the the question here. And, you know, we've been through a lot of turmoil this year so far. I mean, we uh, started out in December, had a sell-off at the beginning of December. So let's, let's go back a little bit in history here just, just for a second. So in November, we had this kind of big rally in the markets, and uh, we're hitting all-time highs, and everybody was very excited about the markets. And I said, hey, be careful here. Markets are very overbought. We generally have a pullback in the first two weeks of December because you have mutual fund distributions. That's what happened. And then we said, okay, great. Um, we added some exposure to our portfolios, said, hey, we're going to get the Santa Claus rally. And we got that. And then we said markets are overbought here, so be careful. We are going to probably have a, you know, a little bit of a sloppy trade, and that's what we've had so far. So, so again, it's just markets are, are acting as you would expect them to act. Now, it's been a little bit more sloppy in January than, you know, we thought it might be. But given that the markets are still experiencing a lot of inflows, we had $156 billion worth of inflows in January. And dealing with this idea or trying to come to grips with, I should say, this idea of slower earnings growth, uh, the Fed hiking interest rates, tightening monetary policy. It's not surprising you're seeing volatility in the markets, but is it a bear market or is this just a correction, right? That's, the, that's really the thing we're trying to figure out, all of us. But, you know, there's a lot of, and as I write in the, uh, the article that's on the website today, there's undoubtedly many issues confronting even the most optimistic of investors currently. Geopolitical risks from Russia to and the threat to the Ukraine. Rising interest rates, surging inflationary pressures, economic growth is slowing, profit margins are under pressure, reversal of monetary liquidity, tighter monetary policy, surging oil prices. Those are all things that are headwinds to financial markets, not tailwinds. And, you know, if you take a look at the markets, and I've got a chart here of the S&P, you know, so if you're watching our live stream right now, uh, you can see it. But like I said, if you're driving... Don't try to watch your phone. Uh, just concentrate on the road. I'll explain this to you. <laughs> Since 2014, the markets have gone through some regular convulsions. And we have to go back in time a bit because each one of them felt just like this one feels. And we all thought at the time that this was, this was it. This is the big bear market. And it wasn't. 2014, you know, 2014 uh, sorry, 2015, 2016. So in late 2014 and, and going into 2015, the Fed was beginning to talk about tapering their balance sheet. Uh, QE was ending, this type of thing. And, and then we were having the whole big Brexit conversation. Brexit at Tiffany's. And this... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Moon River. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. You keep singing while I talk, okay? Yeah. Just you be you be you be the filler bed. <laughs> so as as we uh, were talking about this time, this was where markets were in a lot of pressure. We had a ten percent correction, then we had a rally, and then we had another you know fifteen percent correction, and that was where uh, Janet Yellen phoned the Bank of England and uh, the European Central Bank and said, "Hey, guys, y'all better do some QE because we can't over here. We're trying to get out of QE. We need y'all to do it." 
And so the ECB and the Bank of England did a big batch of QE to offset the risk of Brexit. And remember, Brexit was that big risk. Uh, the UK was going to leave the Eurozone and the world was going to end as we knew it. And it was going to be just a terrible thing. And that was about the end of it. I, th I think they're still working on Brexit. I don't think we've actually ever resolved the Brexit issue. Well, I think Neil Sadaka said it best. Right. Breaking up is hard to do. <laughs> yeah. So I still think they're working on the breaking up part. Yeah. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> anyway, so we had that, that you know, stumble, bumble, fall down, and the market took off in 2017. Lots of QE, low volatility rally. When we got into uh, Trump lowers tax rates, he gets elected, he, he drops tax rates. And getting into 2018, he starts talking about trade wars, and we have a 10% correction. And then, then the Federal Reserve is like, oh, well, we're going to start hiking interest rates and tapering the balance sheet. And September, they say, well, we're nowhere close to the neutral rate. Market declines 20%. They start dropping rates in 2019, get back to zero. Fed starts doing QE in, in September of 2019 as there's a, a repo bailout of hedge funds happening at the time. Markets are doing okay, though. And then 2020, we shut down the markets, have a 35% decline. Now, since that 35% decline, we've had a 120% rally from that low because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity, $120 billion a month in QE, the Federal Reserve buying everything from junk bonds to bailing out businesses. So we've had this massive surge in the markets over the last two years, very, you know, a huge surge, 120% surge in two years. So now the question is, is we're having a bit of a correction here. We're down about, you know, 10% from the peak, give or take. Have been slopping around this kind of bottoming process that we've been working on ever since the October lows. And people are very concerned. I'm hearing lots of, uh, A, I'm getting lots of emails, and B, hearing lots of commentary about the, the great bear market is coming. I've got an article coming out next week on... Robert Kiyosaki, the great crash is coming. The answer is yes, maybe, possibly. Problem is we never know when or what causes it. And this is the, the big challenge. As we talked about earlier, kind of getting on, you know, trying to bet on an outcome generally doesn't work out very well. But there, there's certainly a case to be made for this that you could have a much bigger bear market. In fact, we wrote about this last week, that you know, 50% correction is certainly possible. And that would only get you back to where we were in about 2018. So, you know, you give up some gains, but, you know, you don't reverse, you know, the last 12 years of the bull market. So there's certainly risk, and I don't want to diminish that risk at all, but my point is, is that, you know, right now we're going through a correctional process, and it's important to keep in perspective that we're up 120% in two years from the loads. So if you give back some of those gains, you know, that's, that's not the end of the world. It's, it's been a huge speculative investment bubble that we've seen here over the last two years. And, and it's just important to keep that perspective <clears throat> in mind. And... Again, you know, one of the, the big issues is that when the Fed begins to 
hike interest rates, that does belong to a history of periods where you have bigger crises and, and corrections in markets. So you don't want to dismiss that either. The Fed's very clear they're going to start hiking rates. The Fed is going to hike rates. And typically, when the Fed hikes rates, they tend up breaking something. Question is just a function of when do they actually wind up breaking something and, and what does that eventually look like? So, you know, as, as we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, and, and again, as we just kind of pay attention to what's happening with the markets, is that, you know, there, there is certainly a risk right now of markets having a correction. And we're, we've been in this correctional process. We bounced a little bit yesterday. Uh, sorry, we sold off a little bit yesterday. But markets are going to bounce back today. You know, we'll be up about a little bit more than 1% at the open. NASDAQ futures have been strengthening all morning. Dow's up about 400 points now. NASDAQ's up about 290 points. And so we're going to see a lot of money flowing back into those big tech name growth stocks. Apple, Google, Microsoft, you know, Amazon. Those are going to be the stocks that are going to rally today because of expectations of lower inflation. Inflation, you know, if you take a look at inflation expectations, those have peaked. And people are starting to look to speculate again in markets on this news. But, you know, this is, this is kind of not surprising behavior. But again, we won't resolve this correctional process that we are currently in. As we talked about yesterday, we've already triggered a new sell signal on the S&P. We won't reverse that today. So that's, you know, this, you know, a bit of a pullback that, or a correction, sorry, the, this bit of rally we're having today is not going to resolve that sell signal. And in the next two days, two weeks, two months, there's going to be more headlines, inflation concerns. But, you know, it's important, again, to keep in and in, to some focus about the differential between what a bull market is and what a bear market is. A bear market is when you when you change the trend of prices from positive to negative. In other words, prices aren't trending higher. They're trending lower over a period of time. That is a bear market. A 20% correction in today's environment will not change the trend of stocks from bullish to bearish. It's going to take a much bigger correction to do that. Now, I'm not dismissing the value of a 20% correction. That is an important correction. You certainly want to try to avoid that. But again, the markets are so deviated from long-term means, and this is the this is really the crux of the article today, is that you can have a very big correction and still be in a bull market. And you're gonna have to navigate this a little differently. So the rules of the road apply even more today about managing risk than they have in the past. Quick break, we're back, wrap up the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
everyone. Welcome back to this morning. So just kind of wrapping up our conversation about, you know, corrections and bear markets. And here, here's the point about uh, this is the whole point, right, is we've seen over the last few days all of the angst over the Russia headlines. The week before that, it was angst over higher interest rates. The the week over that, you know, the week before that, it was all about inflation, right? So every week we have this concern du jour, right? What? Oh my gosh, something's about to crash the markets. Yeah, eventually something will, right? The problem is is knowing what it is and when it is and how it's going to occur. We don't know that. Nobody knows that. So all we can do is try to navigate the best that we can. And there's some simple processes for doing that. It's not hard. You know, the mistake that we make as investors is to make one-sided bets. And what I mean by that is, is that we're convinced because we watch some guy on YouTube or some guy on some radio show or, you know, or, or both, um, or some guy that wrote a blog that says that the world's about to end and you need to be all in gold and silver and bullets and, and uh, beanie weenies and spam, right? And the problem, and that's fine as long as everything works out that way. The, the problem comes when it doesn't. And, you know, a couple of days ago, Russia was going to be the start of World War III. Still could be, right? It's not over. But... You know, we're seeing some easing of tensions today, and some markets are rallying on that news. So if you're all on a one-sided bet, all of a sudden, you're trying to figure out what to do now. Is the market's going back up to all-time highs? What, what's going on here? I, you know, I got I to gotta, I gotta redo. I got to undo everything I did and redo everything I just did. So this is, this is the problem with this. So you've got, look, you've got three choices. And this is in today, if, you know, I'm going to go through a couple of things here, but this is in today's article. Uh, we kind of laid out some rules and things to think about for managing your money. Whatever this is, we can navigate it. We have three choices. We can do nothing and just allow the markets to work themselves out. That probably won't work out well if the pessimistic view comes true. If you do nothing and the optimistic view comes true, then you're fine. But it's a one-sided bet. Second thing we do is take just take some profits, right? Um, a lot of stocks still have a lot of their gains. They haven't given them up yet. Unlike Zoom, as we are talking about earlier. So I can just take some profits, raise a little bit of cash, reduce my exposure to equity risk. And that's a very simple way to, to hedge some risk, right? So just raise your cash level from 0% to 10% in your portfolio or 20% of your portfolio. Put it in cash. That doesn't mean sell everything that you own. doesn't mean sell all of one position. It means if you own 3% of Apple, take it down to one and a half, you know, or two. You know, just reduce some. And that reduces your risk to downside. Because, again, if you're measuring your portfolio relative to the S&P and the S&P is, you know, down 1% and you're down, you know, half a percent, okay. But if the market rallies, then at least you'll participate with the market and you can say, okay, what do I need to do next, right? So I've got this cash. Now I can put that cash back to work if things begin to, to work themselves out. Yes, you're going to lag the benchmark temporarily. And that's okay. 
you know, this whole idea you have to beat a benchmark is ridiculous to start with. That's not why you invest money. You invest money to grow it over time to outpace the rate of inflation, not to beat some random benchmark index. It's, you know, investing is not a competition, right? There's no prizes for winning. If you beat the benchmark, nobody cares that you beat the benchmark, right? If you fail and you lose 50% of your money, big penalties for trying to beat a benchmark. It's all equity-based and has no cash. So just manage your portfolio for you, right? Don't worry about markets. Don't worry about benchmarks. Don't worry about beating your neighbor. Just invest your money for you and do what's right for you. The other option is to hedge, right? And this is where you can do some things to reduce risk further, hedge your portfolio against downside. Um, but again, you've got to be careful with this because that's now a bet in a bearish position. If you're wrong, that bet is going to hurt you. So like right now in our portfolios, we've been on the, the rally from the January lows. We talked about, hey, when this market rallies from the lows and gets back into kind of overbought territory, we're going to you know add a short position in the portfolio, which we've done. It's small. It's not huge. But, you know, the markets are still working through and have just now triggered their sell signals. So we'll see what happens today with this rally and whether or not it negates that sell signal. But if it doesn't, we'll likely add a little bit more to our hedge. Because, again, we still have, regardless of what happens in the markets today, we're still well within a correctional process. And we still have to deal with the Fed and interest rates come March. So there's still concerns. So we're doing a little bit of two and three, taking profits and hedging. But, you know, as I said, there's there's some basic rules to remember as you're investing. Uh, look, you know, first of all, as I said, you know, investing is not a competition. Just manage your money for you. Don't worry about everything else. That's going to lead you, you know, trying to chase markets or worry about some trade you missed out on or whatever. That just le that's emotional, right? Leave your emotions out of it. That's rule number two. Just focus on you. Don't worry about all the other stuff that you want. Don't worry about the fact that you didn't own, you know, some energy stock that went up a whole bunch, right? Who cares? There's 15,000 stocks out there. You're not going to pick them all, and you're not going to pick all the winners. In fact, your odds are that you're going to pick losers more often than you pick winners. That's just a function of stock picking. The only investments that you can make that you can truly buy and hold are bonds. And actual bonds, not bond funds, not bond mutual funds, because they don't have a return of principle. But the only investment I can truly buy and hold long term is a bond because it matures at full face value. So I don't have principal risk. If I, if I own a treasury in 10 years, I'm going to get my money back plus my interest. Now, that's not a lot. But it's a guarantee of principle. It is the only thing that I can do that is truly, quote, unquote, risk-free. Everything else I do outside of that has risk to it. You know, we talk a lot about valuations, but those are terrible market timing devices. Those are more about forward returns and psychology. Market valuations tell you more about market psychology than they do about anything else. And valuations, despite this little recent hiccup in the market, still very elevated. You can't time the market. 
you know, we talk a lot about managing risk here. We talk a lot about, you know, trimming some stocks here, adding to some stocks there. Markets are overbought, reduce a little bit of profit, you know, take some profit. Markets are oversold, add a little bit of money to the market. That's not market timing. That's just risk management. Market timing is where you're all in or all out at one time. One-sided bets. Don't make one-sided bets because eventually you're going to be wrong. You may nail it. Right. You could you sometimes you can take a one sided bet and you can just nail it. But that's kind of like being in Vegas and betting in all, you know, betting all in on a hand and winning. You might do it once, you might do it twice, but odds are more than likely that on the third, fourth or fifth time, you're going to lose everything. Right. You can do it. It's just going to have a bad outcome. And that's what happens in markets, too. So, you know. Just remember, all this daily commentary, look, and we're notorious for it, right? Because we have to run a show. We run a radio show every morning, so we're talking about current events, right? We're talking about what happens. But there's really not a lot of value in terms of your investment portfolio as to what happens on a day-to-day basis. You know, what we try to do is put this stuff into context. As we said yesterday, you know, be careful of getting super bearish on the Ukraine thing. It's going to work itself out. That's what history says. So the day-to-day commentary really isn't important. What is important is just understanding where we are within the market cycle. Are we overbought? Are we oversold? What's the the dynamics of the market? What's impacting it? Those are things that have value longer term in understanding those things. But most of the stuff you see on TV is not very helpful. In fact, it feeds into rule number two, which is leave your emotions at home. (laughs) Don't, Don't bring them into the investing workplace. But that's hard to do sometimes. I mean, with the media screaming about this, that, and the other thing. And again, as we said at the opening of the show this morning, right? If it bleeds, it leads. You know, we see the worst of the worst on television. News channels are not news channels anymore. They are tabloids at best. And all they're trying to do is get you to watch. They just want to present something that feeds that psychological need to figure out what's going on. There's very little real actual statistical or factual commentary that comes out of news channels anymore, unfortunately. You've really got to go do a lot of work on your own to understand what's happening. And then try to feed that back into your portfolio. It's, 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 it takes work. And this is all that Mike and I do all day long, right? But this is the reality of it. So, you know, try to try to make sure that you're investing money, which is making well-disciplined bets on things that you think you have some visibility and some control over. Overlay that discipline to buy and sell and manage that risk, and you'll have a much better chance of success long term. All right. That wraps up the show today. As uh, Benjamin Graham once said, the investor's chief problem and most likely his worst enemy is likely to be himself. And that wraps up the show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That article on the website now uh, talking about market correction or bear market. What is it? Where are we in it? Uh, That is on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, get us our latest uh, podcast videos, our latest commentary with Wealthion. Um, on the markets. We do that every Friday. We post that on Saturday for you as well. It's always on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.